Hey, everybody, real quick, before we get started, I want to tell you about a new podcast from our friends over at Stitcher. It's a serious, in-depth look at the story of Heaven's Gate. The new podcast, Heaven's Gate, talks to people who lost loved ones, people who still believe in the cult, to understand the cult's mysteries. Whatever you think you know, prepare to be surprised. It's hosted by Glenn Washington, and if you've heard his other show, Snap Judgment, which I personally am a very big fan of, you know it's going to be good. Glenn does not mess around. Plus, Glenn even grew up in a cult himself. Hear it for yourself. Subscribe to Heaven's Gate, the podcast for free, wherever you listen, like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. Plus, hear episodes one week early and ad-free with Stitcher Premium. Hello to everybody who runs 100 miles for fun. This is Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. Chris Gethard here welcoming you to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Thank you for tuning in. I mean it so sincerely. Thank you to everybody who listens, everybody who signed up for our Facebook group, Beautiful Anonymous, the community, all of you guys. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be able to do this, and I thank you guys for supporting it, making it a reality. During these stressed out times of my life, it's such a pleasure and a joy to do this. Last week's episode, I gotta say, we talked to the relaxed Satanist. A lot of you guys in the Facebook group, not psyched, he was calling me Christopher. You heard that I was a little bugged by it. You guys really went to town. I was not that mad about it, but it was it was it was very touching to see how protective you guys were, saying, do not call him Christopher when he says he does not like it. I'll also say I was fine with it at the end of the day. But thank you guys. Thank you guys for having my back. It was really an impressive amount of people who were mad he said Christopher instead of Chris. Wanna let you know also in the Facebook group, very cool thing. We broke twenty thousand members. The mods there decided they wanted to do a contest. So they're doing a thing where you can actually submit designs for T-shirts. And so many people have turned in great ones. It's very cool. Thank you to everybody who's done that. Might be a few days left where you can get yours in. So if you want to join the group, see the details. They're all there. Do check it out. Also want to let you guys know, one of my best friends in this world has a new show coming at Earwolf. And I'm the guest on the first episode. It's called Dr. Game Show. And it's uh, my friend Joe Firestone. And I'm telling you, this is going to be someone who is world famous in, the, in, in the, the comedy sphere in the coming years. She's brilliant. She's strange. She's inventive. She's unique. So hilarious. And has a show where people can call in and play game shows that, that listeners just make up. So there are all these weird game shows. And the rules are very ambiguous. And Joe leads you through them with her friend Manolo, who's as weird as she is. And it's really fun. I, I'm in the first episode. It's dropping Wednesday. It's coming out Wednesday. So that's a very, very good friend of mine. I'm on the first episode. It's a strange comedy show, but man, do I love it. You might love it too. So I hope you check it out. One last thing before we get into this week. wanted to let you guys know, live Beautiful Anonymous, Gainesville, Florida on Saturday. I'm going to be there as part of Fest. Fest is the big punk rock festival, but we're doing a podcast taping and you don't need to buy a thing for the whole festival. You can come to the taping. So I hope to meet a lot of beautiful anonymous fans down there at uh, at the old punk rock show down in Gainesville. Now, this week's show, so excited for it. So excited for you to hear it. I got off the phone with this guy and I, I couldn't have been more impressed. Uh, he is an officer of the law. He's a very together person. He's a runner He's also a person who has seen some stuff. I will warn you, he deals with crimes that are not pleasant in any way. Sex crimes, stuff with kids, murders. 
I don't want to spoil anything. I also just want to be clear. If you're sitting there right now and you're just eating your eggs in the morning, know that some stuff is coming on the pike that's not the pleasant stuff. But I will say this. I was so impressed. I feel like, uh, you know, so much of the dialogue right now surrounding police, and, and I certainly do pay a lot of attention to this, is, you know, cops gone bad. Um, you hear about people who break the law, push the law. You hear about the debates that happen. It was very, very fascinating to talk to someone who's clearly so good at his job and who so clearly has a priority on doing it the right way and was willing to fill me in on just what that life has been like, what that what that path has been walked and how... Sometimes maybe you need to run a couple hundred miles to get it out of your head. Real interesting guy. It was a pleasure to talk to him. I enjoyed it a lot, and I think you guys are going to as well. Let me know in the Facebook group. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello. Hey. Hey, how are you? How am I? I'm, I tell you, I'm very excited. The Earwolf New York studio, they got a lamp. They got a lamp in the studio, so there's more light than usual. I'm pretty psyched about that. Otherwise, I'm stressed out. On a dreary out. day. Yeah, nice dreary what day. About? What am I stressed about? Uh, let's see. It's funny because I have a really great life, but it's, it, there's certainly a lot of pressure. A lot of people's jobs depend on me and my talk show right now. I'm trying to get it right. Not always easy. Not necessarily confident that the numbers are heading in the right direction. And I'm stressing out. But that's a good life. I still have to remind myself that it's a good life. It is. Your show brings good things to a lot of people. I do my best. Thanks for Certainly saying that. puts my mind in good places when I need a distraction. That's good. Now, how about you? How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Just uh, hanging out, and I saw that you, know, that you were uh, starting a show. I figured I'd call. Typically, when I call in, it takes me, you know, I don't know, 10, 50 or so tries before I give up. So I was surprised to get through today. How many did it take this week? Uh, you know, I didn't count. It was quick. Probably seven. Nice. Ten. Thanks for sticking Pretty with fast. it. fast, yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Glad I get to talk I to you. I love your show, so I'm actually excited. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. Um, it's weird. Uh, you, you, I guess... You're going to be doing the interviewing today, but typically I do interviews, so it's nice to be on the other end. Now, what's once. what's that intriguing statement mean? <laughs> um, well, I'm a police officer by trade, but I work, you know, a little differently than your average cop. I'm not out on the street, uh, you know, running radar or answering calls for, you know, calls for service. Um, what I do is I work for what would be like the district attorney's office, as most states call it. Um, so I'm an investigator, started my career uh, in, a, in a prosecutor's office in a sex crimes unit. Whoa. And I worked my way through there. Um, then I went to our major crimes unit, which handles homicides and shootings and police-involved shootings and robberies and all the, the violent things. And through my career, I've interviewed a, a lot of people, interesting for really many wrong reasons, but interesting nevertheless. So it's just nice. Not, I, I don't have to think as much uh, for this interview, and I, I kind of welcome that. Yeah, that's awfully intense. Now, can I just add? At times. I wanted to ask, too, as a, uh, as a proud son of the East Coast, is that Baltimore or Philly that I'm hearing? Well, it's interesting. Um 
No, I'm actually a, a, a North Jersey boy, but I relocated to uh, the Philadelphia region. You got the Philly. You picked up the Philly. <laughs> I'm sad to hear that because it's... <laughs> For me, it's, still, it's Taylor Ham, not pork roll. I oh. can tell you that much. Thank you. Someone finally said it on this show. I don't know if it's been dealt with before, actually, but that is <laughs> Taylor Ham. It will always be Taylor Ham. So uh, if you, I'll, anyone I'll familiar forget, with when I, I, <laughs> go yeah, when I first when I first relocated down to southern New Jersey, um, I, we went out. You know, me and a, a bunch of the guys. We go out for lunch, and I'm looking at a menu, and, and I thought, I'm like, I said, what the hell is pork roll? I had never heard of it. You know, where, where I grew up, it was Taylor Ham, and I had never even heard of pork roll. So, um, yeah, it's always going to be Taylor Ham for me. Yeah, and f- for anybody who's not familiar, is not from New Jersey, we should explain uh, Taylor Ham, aka pork roll. It's a hotly debated issue. Uh, South Jersey calls it pork roll, which is like calling it tissues. North Jersey calls it Taylor Ham, akin to calling it Kleenex, more of the brand name. People fight about it because people from North and South Jersey tend to like to fight. It can be described best as um, a very good tasting, uh, clearly unhealthy mystery meat. <laughs> Absolutely. Certain to clog an artery or two over the years. Right. But you put it on a hard roll with some egg and cheese. Nothing wrong with that. Uh Pepper and ketchup, absolutely. Look at that, man after my heart. Yeah. So you pick up, so, so I've picked up a, a Philly accent. Wow, that's the first I've ever heard that because I'm always accused of a North Jersey accent. Yeah, so, I, I bet. I welcome that as well, I guess. Yeah, no, I can hear both. I can hear both now that you say it. I hear, what's the stuff that comes out of the faucet? What do you call that? W- water. Yeah, you said it like Philly, water. Yeah. Yeah, although if I say coffee, people accuse me of it in North Jersey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Time, so. oh, yeah. Horrible, terrible coffee dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the city yeah, we grew dog. up near. Here's another thing people should know. I didn't grow up near Newark. That's in Delaware. I grew up near Newark. Don't correct me on how to say exactly. it. Exactly. I grew up near there, a couple towns away. Don't tell me how to yeah. say my words. Anyway, that's uh, you got you've had an you've had an intense life. How long how long have you been doing this? When so you started in the sex crimes unit initially? When was that? How many years back? It was twenty years ago. Wow. When I started doing that. So two decades of of sex crimes and murder and all the really hardcore stuff. Yeah. Is that wear that must wear yeah. on you? You must have your moments. I'm sitting here complaining that I get to host a talk show. You're meanwhile you're taking on the the absolute worst society has to offer to try to bring justice to victims. Yeah, you know, if you th- if you don't find an outlet or a way to deal with it or manage your perspective on things, it, I think it would weigh on you an awful lot. But you know, over the years, I just, I've always welcomed that, you know, dealing specifically with sex crimes, which the way it's handled um, for the agency that I work for, they're, almost essentially just child abuse investigations. So it's children that are being victims of sex crimes. And, you know, it's the most horrible topic you could ever talk about or or be exposed to. But what helps you get through it is you realize, you know, very quickly in this line of work that you become able to actually, you know, help this child put an end, you know, to the abuse, you know, that they're suffering uh, most frequently by people are the very ones that they would rely on, you know, for protection. So there's some redeeming qualities in 
being stuck in those investigations and trying to make a difference for the world. So, you know, that has a, a way of helping you get through it and, and deal with what you're forced to deal with. Yeah, I mean, that's real. I, I will say right out of the gate, so I don't forget, like, just on a basic level, thank you for, you know, it, it takes a very strong person to take that on. And clearly it's one of the worst things that, and you know, anytime a story like that comes up, I think universally agreed upon that it's it's one of the worst, most deplorable things that happens. So thank you for being one of the people trying to help, like you say. Yeah, well, I guess you're welcome. I, I don't know what to say to that because, uh, you know, the, there's the, the only thanks in, in this job is just, you know, trying to put an end to that one person's suffering. And, um, you know, you don't look for any celebration of your effort. And, you know, it's kind of, for me, it's hard to acknowledge that because, uh, you know, you don't want to be celebrated for doing something that is just the right thing to do, you know? Yeah. So, but thank you anyhow. No, please. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I understand that. I would also imagine when it's your life, you have to compartmentalize and even being thanked, I would imagine is like, yeah, well, that's not, I can't, that can't be the sum total of things, but still, I think on behalf of all of us uh, listening, a, f- a very for real thank you for taking it on. And I would imagine, so and I don't want to get too graphic. I don't want to, anything you're just not in the mood to talk about, let me know. But I would imagine there's like, is it, is there's probably a lot of like kitty porn trafficking stuff. Is that, is that a lot of what you've seen over the years? Um, y- yes and no. I mean, as an investigator, um, not so much, but, you know, as I advanced in my career and, and moved away from, you know, being the, the frontline detective and moving up, you know, as a supervisor uh, with technology, the way we investigated those things and the way we came across like child pornography um, became easier for us to, to target. And the reality is, is that um, child pornography is so prolific that it's, I mean, it's, like the proverbial shooting fish in a barrel, you know, if, if you wanted to set your sights on just say, you know what, we're going to target 15 people, uh, over the next month, um, you can do it regionally, you know, wherever you work, it's just going on so prevalently that, you know, we can't even, we deal with what comes into us that we don't even, you know, seek out the people that we would otherwise be able to, if we had the manpower to do it. That's heartbreaking to hear that this stuff's so prevalent that yeah. it's you're kind of playing defense to the point where you don't have time to go on offense. That's that's hard. I had no idea. Yeah. That, I had no idea it was that widespread. It is. It is, and you know, it, it's everywhere in society. Um, you know, it doesn't escape. You know, any socioeconomic status or, or you know, a, a type of person. You know, whether you, whatever you were professionally or not. You know. Just people from all walks of life have a proclivity for that at times, and you know, we we come across them because they're brought to our attention. We don't even have to, you know, go fishing for them. Unfortunately. Wow, wow, and it's I'd imagine teachers report things and neighbors report things, and that's that's how it starts coming down the pike. Yes, that and just technology itself, right, um, kind of brings it to us. Right. So if you, you know, had, without without exposing too much of, of, of how we how we do the things we do. Yeah. I would imagine the development of this dark web thing is a horror show 
for you guys. That that sounds like a real. I've never messed around on that dark web, but that sounds like a place where bad things happen. Yeah, you know, um, we really don't we don't get anything from there because I guess it tends to be where the the real bad people, uh, you know, do their things. So they're not prone to report each other. Um, so our stuff comes from just you know run of the mill stuff that's filtered out through email or you know somebody finds something and reports it or somebody stumbles across it uh, mm-hmm. and reports it or maybe a child pornography website gets taken down and then you know the investigation reveals credit card and bank account information and then that gets you know dispersed out to the jurisdictions where where it can be investigated further yeah. and prosecuted yeah i mean that is uh I can't, that's, I don't even know what to say. You don't even know what to say. And how do you let it go? You said like, you need a hobby. You need to, you need to have that. Like what I would imagine, do you get into like the most hardcore hobbies when you're in the thick of that 20 years ago? Or you, <laughs> like the most hardcore martial arts you can find? Like, um, yeah, I guess some people do for me. I kind of, uh, I kind of discovered running, which I, it's going to sound strange, especially as I delve deeper into this uh, topic. I hate running. Um, and probably, t- I guess it was about 10 years ago, one of the guys in the office was doing a benefit 5K run. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll run it with you. So I started running just intermittently here and there. And then I decided I was going to you know, try a, a half marathon. It was like my ultimate goal. So I did that. And then um, maybe the next year, one of the guys in the office said he was going to do the marathon and he needed a training partner. So I decided to do that. And then just from there, I, I got talked into doing um, ultra marathons. So, oh, you know, Hold on. <laughs> this comes from a guy. You started it by saying you hate running. And now you're talking about ultra marathons, which I, I feel like are, aren't those like 200 mile long races through deserts and stuff? They are. I've never done a 200 mile race. I've done 100 mile race. <laughs> oh um, but yeah, and I, and I hate it. It's funny because I, I truly do not enjoy running. I, there's never a point when I go out for a run and, and I'm thinking to myself, this is fantastic. I just, I hate it. And I just push through it for the benefits, you know, mentally and physically. I just go about it and push through it. And it, it lets you take, you, you know, when you're alone with your thoughts, it helps you work through some of the stuff that you deal with yeah. regularly at work and kind of, you know, come to terms with it. Uh, not accept it, but just come to terms with it. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I love that I was like, do you get into the most hardcore hobbies? And you're like, ah, kind of. I mean, just ultra marathons. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's hardcore. I mean, you, you know, you, you learn <laughs> doing these types of runs that, uh, you know, you're, your mind quits before your body. So I, I really, I don't know that it's, it's hardcore mentally, I guess, not so much physically, because what you find is you can always go farther than you think you can, uh, and you can always go farther than you want to. So, you know, I just hardcore, I think, of things where, you know, you're, you're pushed to your physical limits and you, you can't go any, any, any farther. I can um, tell you, everybody listening is going, no, that's hardcore. What's a, can I ask, like, what's the, uh, like, where, what is the physical locale of the ultra marathons you've run? Is it these desert ones? Is it, it, is it like you run up a mountain and back? 
I, I've done yeah, I've done some down um, in Virginia, some in northern New Jersey. Um, but one I do in northern New Jersey, pe- even people that do ultras think I'm out of my mind to do it because it's – I'll even give you the location. It doesn't tell you who I am or where I'm from. It's at the Sussex County Fairgrounds um, okay. in Sussex, New Jersey. So way up A little there. tiny town called uh, – yeah, it's called Augusta. And it's a one-mile – kind of loop it's not a circle but it's around the fairgrounds so you run for 24 hours straight um that one mile circuit uh, and just try to log as many miles as you can in 24 hours that sounds maddening that sounds maddening <laughs> for, yeah even for ultra runners it, it is but I, I that's actually my favorite race because i'm I'm always less than a mile away from either food or drink or the restroom or whatever I might need. <laughs> I guess when you put it like that, utility-wise, it's very convenient. If you're going to be running a mentally uh, taxing, physically impossible feat, it's always good to have a bathroom nearby, for sure. It is, absolutely. So you were in the sex crimes unit 20 years ago. You've now moved on to... Um, to even what, what was the phrasing again? Um, probably major crimes is what I said. Major crimes, the MCU. Um, yeah. So when was that? When did you yeah, make that switch? Exactly. I switched to MCU in 2002. Um, and then I was there for about five years as a, as a detective. Um, and then I was promoted to sergeant. So then you become a frontline supervisor. I went back to our sex crimes unit for uh, several years. And then back in 2013, I went back to our major crimes unit as a supervisor. And then about a year and a half ago, I was promoted to lieutenant. So now, you know, I oversee both sex crimes and major crimes. And then, you know, our, our crime scene unit, our our Megan's Law unit, Homeland Security, and a, and a bunch of other ancillary uh, units within our, our office. Wow. I am out of my depth. You are, you are, uh, that is incredible. Uh, here's a weird question, and this, I hope this doesn't come off as blunt, but I, it's something sitting in my gut. Like, MCU is... Also brutal. I would imagine this involves like outright murder investigations. Yeah, it sure does. Is that here's a weird question? Is like, are they just extensions in your mind? Are they? Is it like there's there's separate things that I, I I I can keep separate in my mind, or is there some is is there any part that's like, there's a, almost a part of me that's like murder. Almost seems like it could be. It, it's so weird to say about murder, but like a breath of fresh air compared to, to children related sex crimes it's it's almost weird to think of it you've seen the dark side from multiple angles Mm -hmm. is my point yeah you know it's i've had this conversation with people i work with and you know family and friends and the thing is is you're kind of right as far as the way i i view it with sex crimes you know somebody has to they do the things they consciously do it uh, because they're either driven to do it or, you know, the, the excuse of they're intoxicated and whatnot. Whereas right. with your typical homicide, um, you know, it tends to involve passion, you know, where somebody just loses control, you know, for, for that moment. So for me, I can process a murder easier than I can victimizing children. 
Um, and of course, you know, there are, there are homicides that happen that are just as calculated as, you know, abusing children sexually. But for the most part, I, for me, I just like to put it off as, you know, it, it was, a, 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 they lost control for a moment. You know, they were angry, whether it was over, whatever it was over money, drugs, sex, you know, the things that drive people to commit murder. Um, whereas with that, that component of sex crimes where, you know, they just, they harm kids strictly for their own benefit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is a breath of fresh air. It's, it's true. It, it is. I feel like that way too. It's it. Yeah. It's like when you're talking about child abuse, when you're talking about rapists, it's, it's like there, it's, it's just a reflection of like true evil or like a true, like op, opting into just the, the darkest thoughts of your brain and uh, I, I get what you mean there. Like, you read a story about a murder sometimes, and it's like, yeah, no, people had a few too many drinks and found out that they were uh, somebody. Somebody had a couple drinks and them, found out his, his uh, wife was cheating, went and killed the guy who did it. It's like, okay, that it, at the very least, I see how you got from point A to point B on that. It wasn't just that you were opting into the evil parts of the brain, right? Yeah, I'm getting a drink of water over there. I am, yes. Yeah. Pretty that. loud, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You got a loud water cooler over there. He's getting a drink of water. I might as well get a drink of water. Maybe we all get a drink of water. Perfect time to take a break. Can't believe we found an easy segue in a show this dark and intense. Listen, we'll be back with more. It, the stories get richer, more specific, more incredible. I'm so psyched about this caller calling. Show comes to you for free because we got advertisers, though, so check them out. Use the promo codes. We'll be back with more phone call. You spend a third of your life in your sheets. Are they taking care of you the way that they should be? Really think about this. Your sheets are an important factor in your life. Introducing brooklinen.com. High quality sheets and bedding at a price that won't keep you up at night. I've been sleeping on Brooklinen sheets. They are great. There's no other way to put it. They're really, really great. Founded in April 2014, Brooklinen offers simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury price. It's the fastest growing bedding brand in the world because people love these products. Sheets have over 12,000 five-star reviews. Plus, there's versatile colors, patterns that complement any decor. It was fun for me and my wife to sit down and pick out the ones we wanted. This is luxury bedding underpriced. You got to try them today. I sleep so well on them. They're great stuff. I love my Brooklyn and sheets. You try them. You'll love them too. I know it. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code BEAUTIFUL at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklyn is so confident you'll love your new sheets. They offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. No reason to not give these sheets a try. You get that $20 off, free shipping, only way to do it. Use the promo code BEAUTIFUL at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code BEAUTIFUL. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. Let's think about home cooking for a second. Not everybody has tons of time. Not everybody has tons of experience. It's why HelloFresh is such a great company. It's a farm-to-box company. It is really great. I have used it. HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box, a veggie box, and a family box. You can order three to five different meals per week, designed for two to four people. New recipes every week. They get you chopping, zesting, cooking like a natural. And I, it's not natural to me, so I can say if it made me feel that way, it's going to make you feel that way. 
HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. They got two full-time registered dietitians on staff who review each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. HelloFresh delivers food to your doorstep in a recyclable insulated box for free right now, offering light fall meals. Just introduced breakfast options. You're gonna love it. It's all for less than 10 bucks a meal. Like I said, I've used it, really appreciated the packaging. Each meal came in its own kit. It was so easy to figure out. There wasn't any sorting or confusion about what was what. I loved it. We got a promo code, $30 off your first week of deliveries. You visit HelloFresh.com. The code is STORIES30 when you subscribe. Again, HelloFresh.com. You punch in STORIES30, you get 30 bucks off your first week. It's a really great service. Thumbs up. Thank you to all the sponsors who helped make this show happen at all. Now, let's get back to this phone call. Oh, yeah, you got a loud water cooler over there. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an old refrigerator, I guess. Oh, yeah, on the front there. Or should I say water cooler? Nailed it. I (laughs) nailed that. There you go. I nailed that. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, your whole life is intense. You oversee sex crimes, murders, terrorism, homeland security. And then on the weekends, you run for hundreds of miles. Yeah, with with my phone, you know, because I'm always um, on call (laughs) 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Yeah. So there's a conceivable reality where you're like 70 miles into running around a one mile loop and you get a call that's like, oh, hey, we just encountered the worst thing any of us have ever seen. And then you're up in Sussex, New Jersey, and you got to drive like two and a half hours back to South Jersey. Um, I have I have taken phone calls during the middle of all truth. No, but no. I've always made arrangements that I wouldn't have to respond. But yeah, I have. I've taken them up in the mountains and <laughs> um, like Reading, Pennsylvania. Wait, <laughs> what? What? What is that phone call like? How many miles in are you? Um, I think I was in like in the mid seventies on one call is my highest. I've been in the thirties on others. You know, I, I can't say. I, remember. I mean, I take calls during training runs that are you know twenty miles in, in the woods overnight. You know, and by definition, these are calls about awful things. They are, absolutely. By anyone's <laughs> definition, they're awful things. Oh, 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 oh. I hate to laugh, but what a weird juxtaposition in my brain right now. You 70 miles <laughs> up on a mountain. Hey, boss, uh, bad news. Uh, all yep. of our brains are warped because we've just ran into yet another horror show that tops anything we've seen before. Sorry, I'm running. I just Yeah, but you just deal with it. Yeah, I don't know how you do. I don't know how you do. You know, it's like most things in life you, you do because you have to. Um, yeah. You just do it. So you yeah. deal with it and uh, wait for the next job to come in. And you said you usually do interviews. Is that of suspects or is that of like other officers just reviewing how they did things? No, it would be suspect interviews. Um, wow done my you know my share of those over the years i've interviewed some extraordinarily interesting people yeah is there anything that stands Um, out you can tell us about i can tell you about cases that uh you know are adjudicated 
um, I, I one of one of the cases I'm known for. Um, I'll try to be a little more cryptic with the circumstances. Was of a it was a, a woman that was murdered back in the early 2000s um, as she was coming home from a night out at, at the bar. And then the following morning, uh, she's found by a neighbor. And as police respond to the scene, her husband, you know, kind of stumbles out of the house and, uh, you know, sees his wife, you know, laying there on the lawn. You know, we did we did that investigation. And, you know, with police investigations, um, you know, you always look at, you know, your pool of suspects and you have your usual suspects, you know, it's the significant other family members. And then, you know, as your investigation moves along, you know, if you eliminate them as suspects, you go, you know, farther out and out and out like concentric circles, you go further out into, you know, your, your pool of potential suspects. So in that case, um, the husband was our primary target, but just to flash forward, it turned out that, you know, he wasn't our guy. The guy she was talking to at the bar uh, wasn't our guy, and it ended up being a, a serial offender, uh, you know, that had murdered her. And, uh, you know, he had attacked a bunch of women in the southern New Jersey area. And we eventually, you know, tracked him down and brought him in for an interview, and he confessed, uh, you know, to killing that woman and attacking a bunch of other ladies uh, around the, the same time frame. Wow. So that was, yeah, that was one of my first big interviews, big in the sense of it was a high profile. Yeah. Um, kind of investigation where the, 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 you know, residents in the area and the, the local media were, you know, intensely following, you know, our progress or lack of progress as it was initially. That is pressure. So this this wasn't a serial murderer, but it was a serial criminal who who targeted women and, and crossed into murder on this case. Yeah. So with with him, well, um, he started off trying to sexually assault women, and then um, you know as he progressed, well, I, I guess I should say he failed initially in the women he started to attack. And then as he would uh, attempt another uh, sexual assault of a woman, the, the level of his violence would grow. So, you know, the, the series went along to where his, his violence continued to increase until, you know, it culminated in the murder investigation uh, that we did. And then, you know, he followed suit with a, a couple more attacks, you know, with the same level of violence on, on, on other women. Wow. And is this so someone... He was, he was eight... Oh, go for he it. He was 18 years old. Wow. Yeah, I say he was 18 years old. So he, he would have ultimately become a serial killer if, uh, you know, we hadn't identified who he was and, and arrested him for what he had done. Wow. And had he had he been on your radar? Is he someone who'd been arrested for any of this before? Or was it like you broke this case and realized, oh, all these puzzle pieces come together on these, these pre-existing unsolved cases? Yeah, it was... Um, it was he was not on our radar, and really, what happened is one of the one of the guys that I worked with on the case. Well, in in um, in New Jersey, the prosecutor's office tends to do homicide investigations with the the local jurisdiction, you know, the town in, in which the crime happened. Mm -hmm. And so, the lead investigator from the town and I were what we call case agents, and um, you know, he had just noticed. Uh, 
one of these attacks of a woman after our, our murder. He had noticed that this woman was approached um, and assaulted. So we started to pull cases to see if there was, you know, any other um, attacks in the area that had a similar motive. And we identified five cases and, uh, you know, we thought that they may have been connected. So what we ended up doing was we reached out for the behavioral analysis unit um, with the FBI and asked for a case consultation. So they, they agreed to meet with us and we went down and met with them um, and gave them essentially like a, a PowerPoint presentation and uh, presented, you know, all these crimes. And they told us, you know, look, you, you, you have a serial offender. Um, and they just told us that his, his violence was escalating. Um, they pointed out how, you know, his first attack was more like a strong arm kind of attempt at kidnapping a woman. And then he progressed to a weapon, um, a display of a weapon. And then he started to assault with a weapon. And then ultimately, you know, he started with stabbing his victims. And so we knew we had this serial offender on our hands. And uh, so after the murder, a few months later, there was another attack in the same town of a woman walking in the middle of the day. And uh, she was able to fight him off. He stabbed her countless times. Um, and she gener she met with a composite sketch artist. We generated a, uh, a composite of a lookalike of, of what this offender uh, looked like. So we ended up identifying people in the community either that were brought to us because somebody says, oh, that looks like, you know, Jimmy or Johnny or people that we identified through other investigative leads. And we went and collected their DNA. And ultimately, we were able to get DNA from one of our lookalikes that matched the attack on the woman that survived and, and gave us that composite sketch. And so we went and brought him in for an interview and he confessed uh, to murdering the woman and then attacking the, the other women that we suspected uh, he was responsible for. Wow. This is real life. And so you have DNA, you have interviews, you have sketches. You're pretty certain it's, it's, it's a lock that it's this guy. So when you interview him, is it just to get things on record or are you trying to get him to confess? Well, you're, well, you're, you know, you're you're trying to you're trying to get to the truth. Uh, ultimately, um, if a confession is the truth, that's great, because you know you interview multiple suspects in an investigation like that, and at the end of the day, you want the truth, not a confession. Um, so, in the case of this fella, we had identified him through DNA on the woman that survived. So, when we went to invite him in for an interview, we knew that he was responsible for attacking her, but we had no other real evidence against him for the murder. Um, so bringing him in, uh, brought him in for the interview, sat down and you go through a, a process of an interview and um, just working your way through that. There are things that, you know, he said that were, you know, you're, Kind of the hairs on the back of your neck stood up a little bit where you know this is definitely going to be our guy, not just for the woman that survived, but, you know, for the murder as well. And so, um, yeah, so it wasn't until that interview was well underway that I, I knew for sure that he was going to be our guy. 
Wow. And then it becomes a little bit of, of gamesmanship of trying to walk him into giving you some information that you need. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know, people see police interviews um, on television and think that's the way that maybe they don't think that. I don't know. But I think Hollywood has a portrayal of how suspect interviews happen. And I can tell you that's probably true, you know, the, the way Hollywood portrays it lots of times, but that's not the way everybody uh, does interviews. When I do an interview, I just talk to people. I, you know, I sit down with them. I try to get to know them. Um, they, we call it rapport building. So you build rapport with somebody. You, you kind of use your conversation with them up front as a barometer for whether they're going to be forthcoming with information or not. So, for example, if I were to ask a, a guy that I that is a suspect in one of my cases, just right off the bat, I say, um, what's your full name? And they say, it's John Smith. And then if I follow up and say, do you have a middle name? And they say, yes. Uh, I just, you know, make a note of that, that they're withholding information. Now it may just be, um, because they don't want to share that information with me, um, because they're intimidated by me. It may be that they don't want to share that information with me because they're embarrassed by their middle name. But at the, at the end of, and analyzing that answer, I know that they're still not comfortable providing me with like an explanatory answer. They're just going to give me short snippets of information. So I know my job is to continue to establish rapport, make this person comfortable talking to me. And then once I, I find that they're comfortable talking to me, uh, then I'll move forward with, you know, what I'm questioning them about, you know, more pointed questions will develop based upon how they're responding to my questions um, and so for me, an interview with a suspect is just a conversation. Um, I've never shouted in an interview. I've never had a need to shout uh, in with anybody. It's just you have a, a conversation with someone, you gain their trust. Uh, one thing I will never do with a suspect is lie to them. Um, that's a frustrating thing for me when I see, you know, other police doing interviews and, and they're lying to suspects or they're not comfortable telling them the truth. So like if somebody asks you a question, say they say, well, am I going to jail tonight? Cops sometimes will, will hesitate. And, you know, that person you're talking to, they see you hesitate. They know you're being dishonest with them and you lose any trust you may have built with them up to that point. So if somebody were to ask me, am I going to jail tonight? And I know they are. I'm going to immediately say, yes, you are. Um, so for me, uh, doing these interviews uh, is a bit of a an art and a science at the same time. And uh, well, I don't know, I'm getting lost in my uh, explanation here. Where was I? This is fascinating. You asked me a question. There is no world in which <laughs> this is fascinating. It is, I have to say, the sense of, you are such a laid back guy, very soft spoken during this call. Just hearing you describe that halfway through, I was like, oh, you are good at what you do huh you're a badass at this no wonder you keep moving up the chain um yeah i mean i've had success um, <laughs> yeah in the interview room here's okay i have a couple questions here you brought up hollywood and here's something i've been thinking about as we get more and more into this because you've seen this stuff real up you've real up close you've been at murder scenes many times in your life you've you you've seen things you've talked to people it, it, here's a question i have when you see stuff in hollywood are you like, are you able to enjoy it as entertainment and not just Hollywood? There's been this explosion in true crime lately, making a murder on Netflix, serial, tons of true crime podcasts. 
I'm a fan of true crime. I'm finding myself right now feeling guilty. I wonder, there's so much of it as entertainment now. Does that, is that something you think about at all? No, but you bringing it up, I, I, you know, (laughs) I think about it. I mean, it's, 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 it's entertainment, but it's, it's real life. And I would rather people spend their time watching a show like Making a Murderer or listening to Serial um, and seeing or hearing what goes into these investigations and, you know, making their own assessments of, you know, people's accounts of things. Because, you know, it's, what's interesting for me is the podcast Serial I found truly fascinating because it's it's done from the perspective of somebody that has limited knowledge of the criminal justice system. And, um, you know, having worked in the system for so long um, and seeing the way that representations cannot be completely accurate from from both sides. You know, if you ever if you ever have the opportunity, Chris, I would highly recommend if you see a high profile case uh, near wherever you live now, go and watch the trial because, you know, you listen to two skilled attorneys, a prosecutor and a, a defense attorney painting two entirely different portraits of what actually happened. And so when I see like or listen to serial or see making a murderer, I like that people are being exposed to the criminal justice system in, in you know, kind of the true sense of, of what it is. It's, it's they're trying to recreate something that very few people actually, you know, know what the truth is. Um, because, you know, if you have a murder and, you know, two people are in a room, one leaves the room alive and the other is dead. Uh, everybody else has to recreate what happened. Only one person in that room is alive now and knows what actually went down. Um, and I can tell you, if if you were to sit a bunch of police officers together, they can speculate for hours on end as to what actually happened. And potentially none of them actually get it right because, you know, Life is dynamic. Uh, p- human interaction is dynamic. And, you know, unless you're there, you can't really truly know the way something went down unless someone that was present tells you about it or confirms it in some way. Yeah. So I-, I love these true crime, the true crime shows. But if like a show like CSI, I, I wouldn't watch that ever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I've ever watched five seconds worth of a, a drama show like that. Yeah. Law and Order. Dick, Dick Wolf's not making so much money off of you, I bet. <laughs> Gotta go elsewhere. No. He, I, I know there's one on Netflix now. I haven't watched it. I, I've been planning on it. It's all about false confessions. And I, I actually, re, I've been reading a lot of uh, this magazine, Texas Monthly. They do the best true crime writing I've ever read. I read a whole thing. These false confessions, that must drive you nuts. Because you sound like a, you know, we've only been talking on the phone for 40 minutes, but you sound very honorable. I never lie. I never yelled at anybody. That must, I mean, that is a thing that, that happens. That I would imagine that drives you nuts. Valid question. Has to bother him. Bothers me. That bothers all of us. But you know what? Rather than get bothered right now, let's everybody take a deep breath. Let's come up for air. We'll get bothered again in a few minutes. In the meantime, we got the ads. They help bring you the show for free. It's capitalism. It is what it is. They got promo codes, too. Uh, deals in there. So you want to check those out? I really appreciate it. We'll be back with more phone call right after this. 
Very happy to be here today telling you about Sonos. Sonos is amazing. I have it in my house. And I'm telling you guys, from my personal experience, love it so much. And there's so many reasons. I tell you, first things first, anytime I set up an audio system, I assume it's going to be super complicated, hard to figure out, hard to connect to the internet, wires, tons of it. This Sonos, they got it streamlined. There's none of that. You set it up, you use their app. Couldn't be one bit simpler. And it sounds so good. I got it in my kitchen, my living room, my bedroom, and my bathroom, and underneath my TV. And I love it. Listen to music on there, watch my TV on there. Love it all. Sonos lets you have sound in any room, every room. I mean that. You can have a different song playing in your bathroom than your bedroom, than your kitchen, or all the same song in all of those places. It's really great. You can add your existing music services. You can discover something new that way. Whether it's curated or on-demand, free, subscription-based, Sonos has you covered with access to a growing list of music services. Plus, Sonos' simple app lets you control everything from songs to volume to rooms. It's all in one place. And now, Sonos is offering the listeners of Beautiful Anonymous 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. Offers available for a limited time only, cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code STORIES10, that's capital S-T-O-R-I-E-S-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. I'm telling you, for music, podcast, TV, all of it, Sonos is great. Thank you again to all of our sponsors. Much appreciated. Now, this really wonderful phone call concludes. You sound very honorable. I never lie. I never yelled at anybody. That must, I mean, that is a thing that, that happens. That I would imagine that drives you nuts. Well, it drives me nuts, but for reasons you might not suspect. Um, false confessions. Well, let, me, let me back up. For me, uh, the worst thing that could ever happen in my career would be for me to arrest somebody that's innocent uh, of a crime that I would charge them with. So when I hear false confessions and I see, you know, representations of false confessions, the thing that the thing that jumps out at me is uh, it's police. uh, If it's true, can be attributed to taking shortcuts. So when you're doing an interview, I said early on, you know, there's kind of a process that we follow. You know, you, you go in, you do your Miranda warnings and then you gather information. And when you're gathering information, that part of it for me, is the rapport building stage. So you use the gathering of information, and it's boring information. What's your name? What's your birth date? Uh, you have a, you know, what's your mother and father's name? Their siblings? Where do you work? You know, did you graduate high school? And you just gather this volume of information um, just to get to know this person a little bit. And then you'll explore, you know, maybe their religion, uh, their education, uh, their relationships with uh you know, paramours and and friends and coworkers. And you're just doing this to establish rapport, but ultimately you'll have to move forward into, you know, the, the, the crime you're actually investigating. And when you're doing an interview with somebody, if the information about the crime is coming from you as the police officer, you're exposing both you and the person you're interviewing to a potential false confession. So if I don't introduce the specifics of how somebody died when I'm interviewing somebody for, say, a murder, but they tell me how that person died, well, I know that that information is coming from them. But if I, in the interest of shortcutting the interview, getting to the point where I need them to be, 
accuse them in a way in which I'm telling them what they did, there's a chance that they they ultimately just want to end the interview and tell me what they think I want to hear. And those are when you hear false confessions, that tends to be, you know, the the culprit of how that happens. Right. So for me, I, I it just don't tell you never tell a suspect what they did. You tell them why they did it. You, know, you give them excuses or rationalizations for doing what they did, but you don't tell them what they did. You just tell them why they did it. Um, you're trying to justify, find a justification that works in their mind to allow them to tell you that they actually did do it and then how they did it. So yeah, it's frustrating when I hear of false confessions. That's really fascinating. It sounds to me like you, your job is kind of almost to like hide hide the facts from them so that you don't tread on that. But it seems like it's a lot of it is tapping into their emotions. The why seems oh, to me. absolutely is. The why seems to be. So it's like there must be a part of you that's trying to get them to explain why they were so mad that they did this versus saying, tell me how you did this. Exactly. Wow. It's exactly true. And then when you're doing your background, you're, you're, that's why you ask about their relationships and what their education is. And you learn about the things they've done in life. You try to talk to them about if they've committed crimes before. You want to talk about that and, and, you know, ask them what their justifications were for, you know, their past misdeeds, because those are things you'll be able to use to help them justify why they did what they did and then tell you how they did it. Right. That is intense. So you're sitting there going, so you're like an hour in remembering things from the first two minutes and you're like, ah. I bet a lot of people judge a kid who dropped out of high school, think you're not smart enough for stuff. And then they go, yeah, yeah. people do that all the time. It fills me with rage. And you go, tell me more about this rage you speak of. Absolutely. See, I'm yeah, wild. or you ask somebody, they tell you that they were close with their, their grandmother. And then you say, oh, well, tell me about your relationship with your grandmother. And they say, no, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not talking about that. You know now you've touched a nerve. Right. You don't know why, but you know that, that there's something about discussing their grandmother um, that bothers them and, and, and makes them not want to share that information with you. So you're always looking for those triggers. Yeah. Um, and when you, when you identify them, you, you make a mental note to be used later on in the interview. Yeah, because you can't sit there writing notes every time something comes up that flags your interest. So this is... This is this is fascinating to think of this. This is fascinating. Do you have can I ask, do you have kids? I, I do, I have one. How old is your kid? Uh he's fifteen. He's fifteen. So when he <laughs> when he sneaks out like when because we all do it, like when he sneaks out and has a couple drinks in the woods with his pals, his this kid's life. <laughs> he can't lie to you about anything. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would be true, I guess. <laughs> you know him better than anybody. You live in a house with him. You know everything about him. He comes home, he tries to pull some teenage stuff. You're like, no, 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 no. I am trained to detect lies. Why'd you really break curfew? You know, yeah, but that's not, that's just not my thing. You know, you don't, you don't want to run your household where, you know, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're the cop in the room. You know what I mean? Like when I, when I am outside of work, I am not a cop. I, I don't identify as a police officer. I don't wear, you know, PVA shirts at, uh, out and about. I am just, um, Oops. 
We'll ble- in fact, that, you know, oh, oh that's okay. God. We'll bleep your name. We'll oh, bleep look, your name. You can bleep that, but uh, it's one of the more popular ones oh, over yeah. the years. So you're still I, safe. You're certainly still perhaps one of the most popular ones. <laughs> yeah, um, but but what I was was driving at with that is, you know, in an in an interview, I I would never identify myself, and I'm going to make that up this name. I would never identify myself as Detective Smith. I would say, you know, this is my, I just introduced myself by my first name and then say, I am a detective with, and then just continue on by my first name, because I want to, uh, I want to remove that, that authority uh, that might impose, you know, fear or concern on their part. I want them to be comfortable. So I want them to, t- because I want them to talk to me. Right. So I, and I don't know that this works or it doesn't, but it's just a, a practice that I've uh, done over the years is to just be me and, and, and not high, not stand behind, you know, my official position, my official title. Right. Right. Here's, this is a tough one, but have you ever like hearing about all these steps of how you kind of like, you know, know going into like, it's so fascinating here. You had this serial offender, you know, that they're responsible for one crime. That's the lesser crime. How do we get them to kind of walk themselves into implicating the larger crime? you know, all the techniques you use, but have you been on the, have you been on the other end where you're pretty certain someone did anything and you can't quite get there with the interview? Um, yes. Um, in fact, more often than not, you know, you're, you're there before you get them to confess. And that's part of the process is trying to identify that one rationalization that will, allow them to, to tell you what happened. So, it, I mean, it happens in most interviews, you know, where, where you're fighting that battle to find what is it that will allow them the peace of mind to acknowledge what they did. Uh, so it's, it's, it's actually infrequent that they just come right out and, and tell you what happened and it's, and, and you're not working for it. Yeah. Although the, the guy the serial offender guy, he kind of did just come right out with it. Um, he started talking about um, how he couldn't over... He, he kind of said, you know, I, I, I don't know where to start. You know, uh, I've never said this out loud before. And I said, well, well, tell me about the... Tell me about what's most vivid in your mind. And he started off um, I, I won't tell his exact statement. I won't say because it's, it's a little too much information. But he says the the murder, you know, uh, and he so he starts. He could have started off with you know the, the lesser of the crimes he was responsible for, but he started off with the murder. So here I am thinking we'll start with what's most recent or most vivid, and he goes for you know the big one in in that case. Wow. Wow. And is there, do you think there's a, I would have to imagine there's some, some people who feel so guilty or who know they're so sick. There is it ever like a weight off the shoulder? Like for that guy, is he like, let's just get this out of the way. It's uh, I'm, I'm, or is it, or is it not that? Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, you know, everybody's different. I, I wouldn't want to pigeonhole people into any one way, but for him, um, there was visibly, you could see the weight come off his shoulders. Yeah. When he confessed. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then do you, when you, when you follow these trials, I'm sure you keep an eye on these people. If, when they, when they get off, like the, the rare time that someone walks out of there and walks free, that must be infuriating. Um, well, I'm, I'm probably going to sound different than what you'd expect a cop to say. It's frustrating, but, you know, the system is set up uh, to protect the innocent person from wrongfully going to, to prison. So when people get off by the rules of the, the system, I'm kind of okay with that. I, I, I am frustrated at times, but I'm okay with it wow. because that's the way the system is meant to work. You're one of the most level-headed, fair people I've ever talked to. You do not fit the stereotype of a cop at all. I'm sure you get that a lot. And it seems like it's a point you make for yourself to be able to say that. But you don't fit. There's nothing about you that seems hot-headed or tunnel-visioned in on stuff. You, no, I'm definitely not hot-headed. <laughs> I've been accused of being aloof at times, you know, somewhat just um, steady as you go, maybe. But, uh, no, I, I can get tunnel vision. Um, I definitely can get tunnel vision. But you always follow your evidence and, and not not your beliefs, if, if you know what I mean by that. You are one of the good guys. I find it very inspiring. And whatever treat you are microwaving for yourself right now, you deserve that treat. <laughs> you, you heard the buttons or you can hear static coming from it? Hey, you're not the only one who keeps your uh, ears open searching out the evidence of what's happening <laughs> on the scene. Yeah. No, I heard the buttons. I heard the buttons. It was pretty, it's yeah. pretty cut and dry. Case closed. <laughs> you're microwaving yeah, absolutely. something. We talking Hot Pockets here? We talking uh, Lean Cuisine? Oh, God, no. I don't... Um, no, I'm making... Um, Macaroni and cheese for my son. Nice. Nice. What do you, uh, when you're running, when you're running these ultra marathons, what do you, you listen to music, podcasts? Mm -hmm. What do you do? How do you, or you just um, soak I, in the nature? I, <laughs> no, I, well, I do that as well, but I listen to music and podcasts and I kind of just, you know, break up the monotony of one or the other, you know, so I listen to podcasts for few hours and then I'll listen to music for a few hours and then I might just you know go silent for a few hours as well yeah and take a phone call here and there take a phone call your work call badass. Yeah, if work calls you take the call badass badass so cool what you do so cool what you do I have to say too it's heartening for me because um, you know, we all stress out about the news right now, and I don't want to make it too much about that. But to talk to somebody as good-hearted as you in your profession, it's it is such a nice reminder of so many of us right now. We hear about the very rare bad cop, and then you're someone who's talking about doing things in such a noble way, above board way, and even saying I, that that answer blew me away when you said someone can prove their innocence, and and the system goes that way. It's it's in some sense, inspiring a relief or a show that the system's functioning. So cool to hear from you because it is such a nice reminder of, you know, not not everybody you hear about is one of the cops you hear about the news. For many of us, those are our interactions with the image of police. Unfortunately, that's true. You know, um, 
Although I don't know that there's much, uh, I don't know that there's a good ratings for, you know, your, your average cop that's just doing things the right way, the, the yeah. way there, there are for media covering the bad ones. Right. You don't hear about those too often outside of maybe the local paper. Right. Yeah. But you do remember. I mean, I think for a lot of us too, I think one of the one of the hallmarks of what you guys do, I would imagine, is like if if things are solved quickly and the police don't have to enter your lives, that is the ideal. Usually it means something, you know, negative is happening. So it's uh it's it's my point being so good to hear from you because it's been eye opening. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. But you're right. You know, for most people, when cops come into their lives, it's it's not for a good reason. Yeah, it's bad news. Because you, you, you're here, yeah. you've got belief in the system, you're talking about your role in the system in a way that's very life-affirming, all while dealing with crimes that are beyond what any... most. I would have to imagine most people don't even want to know the info that you get in, like, the initial report most people don't even want to know the things you've seen or you've read or you've heard and then you're here it's true yeah you're here supporting the system believing the system making it work when there's so many people who only want to say only want to point out the parts that seem broken it's very eye-opening thank you for it you're welcome got got a little over four minutes left and what has been four minutes huh was been one of my favorite conversations ever. And I'll say this too. Here's the thing I notice about you. And I've tried to meet the bar. I don't think you've used profanity one time. My mom is going to be very pleased, as is my Aunt Karen. Recently expressed uh, some dislike of how often I curse. Yeah. That, I've, I've heard you mention, mention that before <laughs> on the show. Uh-uh. I've, I've been known to drop a bomb here or there. Uh, when appropriate, I guess. Sometimes when it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've got, what do I, about three minutes left? I don't even know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, but- I'll tell you how I got in. Let me tell you how I ended up becoming a cop. Um, Love it. So when I was a little kid, I, I come from a broken family. And for me, as a child, um, when the police came into my life, um, it was because they were ending, you know, what would have been, you know, a very violent situation inside the house. So for, for me, police were always like a, a sense of calm, you know, brought into the house. So, you know, my parents, especially my mother and stepfather, you know, would have a, a physical brawl. I remember my stepfather loading a, a 12-gauge shotgun and putting it in my mother's face. Um, and so for me, the cops represented the good in life um, and people that you wanted to aspire to be. So that's ultimately, you know, how I ended up becoming a police officer and doing what I'm doing. Wow. Wow. And then you went to, you went to the academy, you did that route? I did. I, I went to college um, and did an internship at a prosecutor's office. Uh, the sergeant that you know, ran the internship program, liked me and invited me to come in when they were hiring. And I said, why? I have no police experience yet. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. We'll send you through the academy if if the boss likes you. So that's ultimately how I I got into this line of work, uh, you know, in a non-traditional way. 
Wow. I, you know, I, did, I never worked the road uh, like yeah. your average cop would in a patrol car answering calls. But that I gotta say, it feels like in that sense, it was meant to be like hearing hearing that your childhood had so much trauma on it and cops were the ones that represented you being able to kind of get your head above water. And then hearing that you immediately yeah. turned around and dedicated your life to stopping crimes against kids is, is that's like, uh, that's like real, real life. And I know you, you've made it clear you don't like being thanked and I'm sure you don't like being put on a pedestal either, but that, you know, there's not, you don't really have superheroes in life, but you're definitely a hero for doing that. It sounds like you dedicated your life to fixing other kids' lives in the way that, that, that yours was fixed by cops. And that is a very, very profound, very, I, I can't, I've never, I don't think I've ever done, I try to be someone who tries to, you know, spread positivity, but you got in the trenches in a way that 99% of people never would. Yeah. And for me, you know, I guess it's redeeming for me to, you know, try to be the hero that police were for me as a young child. So, you know, I hope, I hope one kid had the same view of me as I had for the cops, you know, that, that ended the chaos, you know, that I had as a child. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. sounds, it sounds like you've done your part and more. It sounds like there's probably a lot of kids who uh, remember you fondly as someone who got them out of some real bad stuff. Yeah. What do we have left? Got about 25 seconds. This has been one of my favorite ones. Seconds. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. So sincerely. Oh, you're, you're welcome. No, Chris, I, I definitely loved having the conversation with you. And as I said, you know, it was um, a relief for me to just uh, not have to think too hard during an interview. Well, if I, and I, I, I do enjoy the way I do enjoy the way you do interviews. So keep up the good work. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, right. Look at that. That saint of a man. Saint of a man ending on a compliment for me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Thank you so much to the caller. Thank you for calling. And also just thank you for doing what you do. You're one of the good guys who makes the rest of us feel a little safer in this dark, often terrible world. I mean it so sincerely. Thank you. Thanks to everybody else who helps the show happen, like Jared O'Connell and Harry Nelson in the booth, Reverend John Delore, Greta Cohn, who helped build this show in the early days, Shell Shag for the music. Want to know about me when I'm getting out on the road, including any beautiful anonymous live dates? ChrisGeth.com has all of that info. You want to help Beautiful Anonymous? One quick, easy way. Rate, review, subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Helps so much. Can't stress that enough. That's all the spiel I got in me. We'll see you next time with more Beautiful Anonymous. Me and my wife, we turn on our Sono system, we put on music, and it's the best. I'm telling you, it's improved our music listening experience. We listen to music together, podcast together. Sonos makes it so easy to do it with really high-quality audio. They got all the music systems on there, whether it's curated, on-demand, free, subscription-based. Sonos has you covered with access to a growing list of music services, any room, 
or every room at once. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing, and I love mine personally. Now, for a limited time, Sonos is offering the listeners a beautiful anonymous 10% off. You make an order of 2500 bucks or less, you get 10% off any product on Sonos.com. Use the promo code STORIES10, that's capital S-T-O-R-I-E-S-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, a feud, a blood feud erupts. You've been pinning me to the wall this whole time. You've been coming at me. You've been coming at me with... I'm just making innocent comments about me. You've been, no, you've been coming at me with unmitigated aggression for the past 45 minutes. It's finally no. hitting the fan. Shit's finally hitting the fan. I'm hitting my breaking point. No, I'm sorry. Can I fix it? It's okay. We just looked it up. The, the, this guy you have a crush on only has 11,000 followers. I actually feel a lot more secure about myself. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Hello, everybody. My name is Jensen Karp, and I am the host of a show called Get Up On This right here on the Earwolf Network. We've been doing it for over 300 episodes, so we're celebrating by sitting down with a hip-hop legend, my favorite MC, Wu-Tang Clan founding member, Method Man. That's right. For over an hour, we talk about his music career, songs he's released. We talk about his television uh, appearances from The Wire to the brand new show, The Deuce, and also the debut of Drop the Mic, which is a show that I created and co-executive produced on TBS. It debuts October 20th. 24th at 10.30. It's where celebrities rap battle against each other, and I swear to you, it's better than that sounds. I promise you that. But listen, you could download our episode now at Apple Podcasts or on the Earwolf Network and listen to, to an engaging conversation, sort of candid. A lot of stuff comes out with literally one of the best rappers in the game still, Method Man. Uh, we hope you listen, and uh, yeah, whatever. Have a good time. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.